So today we begin the season of Advent, that season of preparation that the kids know about so well. Y'all are doing a great job teaching this, passing it on from generation to generation. This year we'll be thinking about that, how we have received the story of Christmas from generations past and how we pass it on and what we pass on in the Christmas story. Today we're beginning at the very beginning, or maybe even before that, in the Gospel of Matthew. And if you're attentive or have been here, say in the spring or early summer, you might notice that we have done this passage already this year. And it might seem like a strange passage to look at twice in a year. You'll see what I mean in a minute. But there's a lot here, I think, so bear with me as we read Matthew 1, 1 through 17. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Aram, and Aram, the father of Aminabad, and Aminabad, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Ruth. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, by Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who bore Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon, to the Messiah, 14 generations. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you gathered with family this week, I'm curious how many of you sat around the table or in the living room and told stories, family stories. You know the ones about the aunties or about the grandfather. You know which grandfather or the kooky cousin, these stories that get passed down from generation to generation. And even if you weren't with family, 
I wonder how many of us have those stories rattling around in our heads, especially this time of year. Everyone has these stories. We also have those other stories, the ones we don't tell at the Thanksgiving table. You know the ones I mean. The stories we'd rather leave shrouded in secrecy and silence. Those stories we'd rather not pass on. That we wish hadn't happened. And certainly don't want to remember. Not at the holidays. Not ever. They don't go away, though, do they? They do get passed on. Even if it's only in the gaps and the silences, what we don't say. That haunting shame, maybe, that we can't quite shake. My friend Taylor helped me think about it this way. Think about how many of you still wash out your Ziploc bags to reuse them. And how many of us picked that habit up or were taught that habit by a mother or grandmother who lived through the Depression. Those practices passed down from generation to generation shape us. They shape what we do, whether it's Ziploc bags or our deepest patterns of relating to one another and to the world. And Jesus had those stories, too. That's what's hiding in all these dry, dusty, unfamiliar names. It's just tedium for us today. It's fair if you got bored or impatient as I read 14 names after 14 names after 14 names, maybe three or five of which we recognized But for the first audience, each name carried a story that they knew. Often beautiful stories of pilgrim journeys and faithful following and surprise and delight and grace and humor passed down generation to generation. But those aren't the only stories these names evoke. Take just the women who are mentioned for a minute. Tamar, her story is a complicated one, but suffice to say it is characterized by incest and sex work. Or Rahab, whose story is also complicated, also a sex worker and a colonized foreigner as well. Or Ruth, who is a Moabite, which is the worst kind of foreigner, and she was a schemer and seductress. And the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba was her name, but in skipping her name and calling her the wife of Uriah, the author draws attention to the very problems in her life. She was the wife of Uriah until she was widowed by the king. Like all of the other women, she too was scrappy 
crafty. These are not pretty stories. They aren't necessarily the ones you tell around the Thanksgiving table. They're stories of trauma. And it would be understandable to leave them out. The author doesn't. In fact, he goes to pains to include them in this genealogy. And it's not just the women's stories that are difficult and full of shame and trauma and sin. In this list, we have murderers and adulterers and abusers and liars and harassers and all manner of sin and shame. These are not the stories we include in our Christmas pageants. Can you imagine if we did? Which kid would we get to play each role? These are the stories that don't get told, that don't get passed on from generation to generation. They're the ones that are whispered if they're told at all. But the author of Matthew includes them. He doesn't have to. This is Joseph's lineage. Jesus wasn't actually born from Joseph. But in including them, the author of Matthew does at least two things. One is he illustrates that adoption or fostering is not a second-rate way into the parent-child relationship. In fact, it was Jesus' way. And the other thing the author of Matthew does with this is that he pulls back the curtain, untucks the shroud, and says, look, this is your Savior. This is where he came from. These are his people, messy and all. One of my favorite theologians is a Catholic theologian named James Allison, and he has this phrase that has always stuck with me. He says, Jesus is the one who dwells in the place of shame, with no shame. Jesus is the one who dwells in the place of shame with no shame. In our Tuesday morning Bible study, we were kind of stunned by these stories, by the radical honesty that including them requires. We tried to imagine getting together and telling these stories from our own lives, the ones that we're embarrassed about, the ones of sin and shame. And we couldn't quite picture it doing that. The radical honesty and vulnerability that would require. How about you? How many circles do you have in your life where you tell these kinds of stories? If you have even one or two people who you share with this radically and this openly, I think you can count yourself fortunate. That kind of intimacy is rare. But, says the author of Matthew, it is also the source of saving grace. In our culture, we mostly worship the shiny and the perfect. We want our Christmases to be Christmas card perfect. 
We want our Jesus to be without sin, yes. But also, if he could be the quietest baby that has ever lived, that would be great. And here's the thing. That kind of perfection isn't biblical. And it's not good for us either. Pursuing the perfect squashes us into little boxes and kills our souls. If Paul Tillich's definition of sin is correct, that sin is that which separates us from ourselves, each other, and God, then the pursuit of the perfect and the shiny is sin. It is what separates us from each other, from God, from ourselves. There is a saying in the 12-step circles that we are only as sick as our secrets. It's not to say we have to let it all hang out all the time with everybody or that we need to bleed our stories on everyone in our paths. It is essential that we choose wise and safe recipients for our stories. And sometimes we need a measure of healing before we can share those difficult tales. But we can't sweep it under the rug. Richard Rohr is right. Pain that is not transformed is transmitted. And this ultimately is what I think the author of Matthew is opening up for us as a possibility. He's pointing to the arrival of Jesus with these stories. With all that history and all that beauty and all that faithfulness and all that trauma and all that terror and all that shame, all together. In Jesus, it is all gathered up. We are all gathered up. Exactly who we are. Nothing left out. Jesus dwelling in any place of shame without shame. And for that, thanks be to God. Amen.